This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Hi, I'm Chris Judd and this is Talk Your Book and today we're joined by Ryan McMillan from Merkle Tree Capital. Ryan, thanks very much for coming on Talk Your Book. Yeah, pleasure to be here, Chris. Now, if I think back to November 16 last year, Bitcoin was at call it 69,000 bucks. We had uh, Pomp and uh, Sailor and everyone else in crypto markets doing victory laps and, um, and calling the dawn of a new day. And we fast forward to today and we're almost hearing the, the complete inverse. We're, we're seeing covers on The Economist, uh, is crypto dead? Uh, everyone who is in the opposing teams doing victory laps in the other way. Is crypto and is, is Bitcoin dead from where you sit? Yeah, I really like to hear this question because it means we're right at the end of the business cycle. So, or the crypto cycle, as, as we call it, um, it's a typically a four-year cycle for Bitcoin. That aligns with the halving event, which decreases supply, which is is really good for the price. But um, you know, this is pretty normal. Every four years, there is a drawdown of eighty to eighty-five percent, and we've seen it before when Bitfinex hack or Mt. Gox hack or the ICO crisis. You know. This time it's FTX and maybe it was actually Terra Luna collapse earlier in the year and FTX is just catching up on that. So it's pretty normal for us to be down here. This is a normal cycle. We're not, we're not worried about it being dead, but when people start asking that, it's typically very close to, to bottoming. And you touched on Luna and FTX. We've had three hours capital. Uh, we've had Celsius, uh, BlockFi just recently. Uh, where do you think we are if you were to use a, a baseball terminology? What sort of innings do you think we are? And, and do you still think there's a bit more contagion to wash through the ecosystem before, before the market can potentially turn? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think the, 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 the normal halving cycle is telling you we are within two months of the bottom. Um, like I said, there's usually a catalyst to get you there. And, and we've seen that, is this it? This is probably it. Um, maybe there's, a little, there's one or two more hiding behind the scenes. We've seen BlockFi, for, for file for bankruptcy today, um, and there's probably a couple more smaller players. I think the real mess, of, you know, the real cleanout was probably done after Terra, and anybody that was leveraged or lending didn't have access to their coins. They're the ones that got hurt then. FTX was able to survive a little bit longer, probably it looks like now by using customer funds to prop them up. And watching from far, it's almost felt that anyone who's become a main character or the main character in this space has been wheeled out and, uh, and finished up. I mean, if, if we look at CZ from Binance now, it's clearly the main guy in the space. It feels like Daylight is sort of in second place. Binance, we know, has no list of shareholders, no registered address. Um, how do you feel about a, such an opaque organisation carrying such a big weight throughout the industry? Yeah, there's a couple of things there. There's one, this cold of personality in, in crypto, and we've seen Do Kwon and Sam Bankman-Fried, you know, these, these big, really vocal participants, and CZ's also one of them. I mean, the others have, have, have um, done something wrong in the, in the system and, and been found out and, and collapsed and are probably on the run somewhere right now. Um, CZ appears to be a good player, and he, he, you know, Binance seems to be a lot stronger, but ultimately, you know, you never really know he has been trying to self-regulate the industry by um, producing 
proof of reserves, which, which um, gives confidence in how many assets are held on Binance, but it's not perfect. What we really want to see is um, regulation in the space. And I think this, could, this FTX collapse could be the catalyst to, to see that. So certainly in the US um, and other places will follow. What do we think about Binance? I think in crypto, you always have to really carefully manage your counterparty exposure. And I guess when we go through the list of, of entities that have failed, essentially talking about centralised organisations in an unregulated world. And um, it's easy to say in hindsight, but I, I guess that's not entirely surprising that, that that hasn't worked out too well. Do you want to maybe make a distinction between, say, the decentralised finance uh, protocols and, and how they've run through that, albeit their price has been completely obliterated, but worth perhaps comparing how those uh, protocols have run compared to the, the centralised exchanges and, and some of the centralised protocols? Yeah, that's right. So Bitcoin was really started in 2008 as a response to removing counterparty risk. Where we'd seen these banks had been using customer funds for their investment bank to prop them up and lost them and not done due diligence and blown up um, customer funds. And, and you know, the bailout came from governments. RBS was 96% owned by the government. So, so those sort of things that crypto is trying to get us away from that where we don't have a counterparty. All you've got is a computer program, a piece of software that says if X, then Y and we don't have to trust the other, our counterparty then, or we don't have to have a middleman sitting in the middle to trust or the other person. It takes trust out of the equation. Um, unfortunately, the on-ramps to, to get mm. into crypto involve a centralised exchange typically or a centralised counterparty. And they're, they're just as um, infallible or as fallible as, as, as anything else. Um, so we've seen with FTX, that's really poor governance and, and potentially some fraud involved there. Um, and, and unfortunately, until regulation comes in and it puts those minimum set of standards in, then, then that, that's going to persist or potentially persist. There's still good players out there. Um, a lot of people doing the, the right thing, but, but not everybody clearly. They, they, these are lessons that we learned in 2008 and they're being replicated again now in, in crypto. And it feels to me that, you know, there is becoming a, a widening between, you know, people who still believe in Bitcoin versus crypto and, and uh, perhaps that was something held or, or just a, a clear differential between you know the bitcoin protocol and, and the other protocols and and early doors that was something um you know the bitcoin purists were really passionate about but perhaps there's an awareness that that spread a little bit wider than it had uh you know call it in november last year are you sort of seeing that across the industry yeah it's really interesting i've been bitcoin all protocols have a religious backing sometimes yeah. and they need that community to support them and champion them. Um, and Bitcoin is no different. Ethereum, Solana have their own. Cardano has their own. Um, and you can see those on Twitter, how they play out. Uh, in my view, Bitcoin really is quite different. Um, it, it is, you know, it's almost like a public good for everybody to use, like the internet. And it's like, here it is. Um, it's free to use. Anybody can transact with anybody in the world free instantly. Um, and this is, you know, really interesting where, where the other protocols are a little bit more commercial in nature, where they're run by a team owned by a company that, that is trying to, you know, do something with this decentralization there. But it's certainly got more of a um, specific use case in mind. So you always in your mind, is it almost that Bitcoin was born out of that need for decentralization and, and perhaps a lack of trust in certain centralised bodies post the GFC, whereas the other players, do they just feel more like tech players um, almost playing on the technology and, and 
what the digital world could look like as opposed to that, that real decentralization thesis. Yeah, I exactly right. So I see Bitcoin really as that payment methodology, payment exchange, it's a, it's a payments network, um, really different and that's super decentralized um, where everything else is a little bit more like a VC project that's got a stated aim and goal and that's trying to do something. Bitcoin was trying to be a peer-to-peer -peer cash payment system turned in more to a, just a global payment system and a store of value. It's got a lot of other really interesting narratives that are playing out at the moment when we see things like censorship resistance as well. If you were to look at what are some potential stories that could drop that would still cause the space harm, you know, Tether is probably, you know, one of the major ones that screams, um, you know, potential warning signals. There's some noise that uh, a stablecoin maybe being built on Bitcoin or some people looking at, at doing that is something that's something you've heard about and could that really be an important uh, thing for the space to have a, a stable coin on such a decentralized network as, as Bitcoin? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's always been rumors around Tether with the auditors they use and, and, and exactly proving how well collateralized they are. And they've, they've certainly got audit notes on this, and it, but it's not entirely clear. And again, you know, we want to see more regulation in the space so everybody can see that we can put that to bed and go, look, Tether is safe or it's not, and, and we will know. Um, what's happening on the Bitcoin network, we're seeing scaling solutions like the Lightning Network, and that's really interesting. That means you can now transact and trade um, for, for fractions of a cent, but you're still exposed to the volatility of Bitcoin, and, and not everybody's comfortable with that. What, what I'm hearing more about is, is you know, people working on a stable coin, so something pegged to the US dollar that can operate and move around on, on the Bitcoin network. And that being the biggest network, and it's already available to the, to the most sources already, um, that's really interesting and it takes away that fear factor for people that I can use this network, transact for free and have instant settlement. I don't have to wait T plus two plus three plus four for international payments and pay multiple banks along the way. And particularly, I guess, interesting for people in different parts of the world where their own domestic currencies are, um, are being debased much more rapidly than, than places like Australia or, or the US. I guess that's where something would, would appeal even more. That's right. I mean, there are limits in Argentina. Their, their inflation is running at 88% and their, their um, funds, Fed funds rate, if you like, I'm not sure what their, their central bank is called, but they're, they're running at 75% um, at, at the moment. And, and there are limits on the amount of US dollars in the economy. It's banned from coming into the economy. Um, people want to be able to have some sort of store of wealth so they're not debased so quickly. Um, and crypto is helping them do that so they can access a, a stable coin, for example, or Bitcoin. Um, and, and hold on to that. And Binance are actually partnering with MasterCard, I believe, to roll out services in, in, in Argentina as well. So, you know, we're seeing these really, really, could be a real inflection point next year when, when these, some of these use cases become really um, ubiquitous and you see more and more people using them. Now, I suspect we would have either had people that just hate crypto and they've turned off by now, people that love it no matter what, and they'll, they'll be all guns blazing till the end of the episode. But hopefully there's a couple of people just curious and, and interested to, to learn more about it and aren't quite as religious about it one way or the other. For those people, I mean, how, does, how does someone like you who's an industry expert, how do you value Bitcoin? Yeah, really good question. Um, just, just quickly on, on those who are sort of interested in the space and they want to get probably a, you know, a less biased view. There was a really good article in Bloomberg um, a few weeks ago called The Crypto Story. And this is written by someone who's a journalist. They're not a Bitcoin investor. They're not a crypto holder or an evangelist. 
um, really considered view of, of what it can do in, in the real world economy. So I'd encourage them to go and educate themselves and, and have a read of, of something like that. And when you're viewing Bitcoin the asset, how, how do you start to value it, given it is so different to virtually any asset we, we've seen before? Yeah, it, it's really tricky. Um, there's, a, there's a number, there's probably seven different models you can use to, to value Bitcoin. Um, and they can be discounted cash flows. You know, it, it, Bitcoin does have fees of $500,000 US a day being generated, and that goes up and down as network activity goes up. I think the, the best one for, for Bitcoin probably is Metcalfe's law. So, so that looks at um, a network effect. So this is how you would value a telecommunications network or even the internet. So the more and more people that are participating in the network and the more and more activity that's happening on the network exponentially increases the value of, of the underlying unit. And being a pure monetary asset, um, you know, M2 plays such an oversized role in both the denominator used to measure its price uh, and the value of it as well. What sort of role does, does M2 play when you're looking at the Bitcoin price? And maybe give an illustration to, to people just what M2's done this year, because it doesn't just have an impact on Bitcoin, it has an impact on, on all asset classes and liquidity's just been incredibly dry compared to what we've seen in recent history. Yeah, absolutely right. So there's a chart here um, and it does show you what's happening with liquidity. Um, and it also shows you know, what sort of spike there was in it in the lead up to, um, well not the lead up to, but immediately after um, COVID, um, that huge spike and now it's being taken away. So we've never seen M2 supply so high. It was a 25% per annum, which was is twice as high as it's ever been. That was 2020, 2021, it was still up at 13%, um, much higher than it's, you know, that's equal as high as it's ever been in 100 years. But this year it's at negative 1%. So we've never seen a negative year in, in monetary supply. So that really gives you an idea of the shock to the system that all financial assets are bearing with and dealing with. And this is exactly where inflation has come from as well. And do you think someone new to space, it's reasonable rather than try to have conversations on what the Bitcoin price is going to do. Do you think it maybe just makes more sense for them to try and work out what M2 is going to do, not just for the relevance to Bitcoin, but obviously lots of risk assets around the world? Yeah, so there's probably two things to look at. I look at the Bitcoin halving cycle and that's saying we're going to bottom pretty soon. So that's 2024, April, when the next halving cycle occurs. Maybe that's right. most people watching this would, would have an understanding of that. Maybe briefly explain what, that, what the halving cycle is for Bitcoin. Yeah, sure. So there's another chart we can throw to as well here that, that, that shows you that and, and it shows you where we expect to go to based on previous cycles. So, so Bitcoin halving um, cycle is, is a four-year cycle. So every four years, the rewards that a miner gets for printing a block, which is all of the transactions of the last 10 minutes, um, is halved. So currently it's a little over six and it's going to move to a, a little over three um, in April 24. Um, so what that does is reduces supply, which increases um, demand and price. Well, sorry, it increases price as demand stays stable or, or increases. Well, what's really happening with demand is um, more and more people are building on the network. So demand is actually increasing exponentially, um, but what you're doing is reducing supply. So, so what we see uh, in the lead up to the halving is, is a, you know, a mild acceleration in price. And after it, there's always been a pretty strong price growth. Um, after, after that happens, then we also have a correction. And I think that's winding out all of the leverage that's been built up over a two and a half year bull run. Um, there's a lot of leverage that's come into the system and that needs to be wiped out and that's, that's what we're seeing at the moment. And Merkle Tree obviously not just focused on Bitcoin but a, a raft of 
of crypto assets. What else are you seeing in the crypto space broadly that you're excited about at the minute? Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of things going on in crypto and it's really good to see now is the really interesting projects that are still building that these offer real value. There's a lot of trash out there and that's not going to survive. I mean, they, they might be still be listed somewhere. There's still 20,000 odd tokens, but whether anyone's buying, I doubt it. Whether they're getting any funding, I, I, don't, I certainly don't think so. Um, so. So what else is really interesting at the moment? We're seeing Apple is probably entering, entering the metaverse space. So that, that gaming um, is going to be really interesting next year. We, we obviously saw Facebook rebrand to Meta last year, and that was a real catalyst for, for interest in the space. Um, now we're starting to see hardware coming out that's going to support that. So VR goggles, um, and that's just another piece of tooling required to take the next step in, in, that, in that area. And of course, Web3 is really interesting as well. So um, being able to build everything we have in Web2, but doing it in a decentralized managed in a decentralized um, manner is also really interesting. So you can see things like um, file storage, um, decentralized file storage, which is similar to, to Google Cloud or AWS um, and, and you know, some other really interesting projects in there. And tell us a little bit before we finish up about Merkle Tree, if people want to find out more information or just a bit of background about Merkle Tree and, and what you guys do when you were formed and, and how you guys look to invest. Yeah, so, so we, we've got a, a, you know, a high conviction strategy on a, a, whole, a wholesale unit trust in Australia. Um, this holds typically 15 to 25 of what we think are the best crypto asset tokens or coins in, in the ecosystem, really biased towards the, um, the larger spectrum. So the top 50 assets typically um, who have got proven use cases, proven users, um, and, and have got traction already. So, so we really like that end of the space. We don't need to go any further out the spectrum of risk because the VC area is really tricky and we, we don't need to take on that risk. There's great returns in the place where you operate. So, so that's what we like to do. It, it really is about having a really safe and secure way to access the space. Well, whenever someone's doing victory laps, I reckon it makes sense as an investor or, or someone who's curious to, to take the other side to some extent and, and at least explore whether or not the, the consensus field of the day is, is warranted. So appreciate you coming on and, and illustrating your, your opinion and views for our, for our viewers. Thanks very much, Ryan. Cheers. Thanks, Chris. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.